This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am Janice Leibovitz and you are my People of the Book. Another week gone. And did you know that April is International Autism Awareness Month? And I am thrilled to have as my guest today, Ilana Gershlevitz, who might be well known to many of you because of the book that she wrote a couple of years ago that has been quite prominent in recent weeks because of Autism Awareness Month. And the book is called Saving My Sons, A Journey with Autism. Ilana, it is great to have you with me today. It is so wonderful to be speaking to you. Thank you, Janice. It is such a pleasure. And I'm so thrilled that we were able to get this together. It was a very last minute thing. (laughs) And I'm really happy we were able to set it up. And um, as many people know, and as I know, autism has been a journey for you and continues to be and will continue to be your journey and your family's journey which is why you wrote the book. And um, you wrote it with Marion Sher, who, if you were listening last week, she was my guest last week, speaking about her incredible book, Surfacing. And Marion was the conduit to getting us together, actually. She's an incredible lady. I absolutely adore her. And yeah, she got us together. And here we are today. I agree with you. Marion is a phenomenal woman and she has contributed so much um, to so many areas, you know, her book on depression um, is just fantastic. It's an absolute must read. Yeah, I mean, her her introduction to to depression and um, awareness of of mental health and mental illness is, I mean, the work she's done in that area for for SADAC and South African depression and, and anxiety group is it's just incredible. The work she's done with them and also continues to do with them is amazing. But we're here today to talk about autism awareness. And as I said, April is Autism Awareness Month. And that's what we're here to do today and to talk about the journey that you've taken up until now and that that you'll continue to be on and that you want to create awareness. And I know that autism is a scary word. It's a scary thing. And as far as we've come, there's still a huge stigma that's attached to that am I right you're correct so not only is there stigma there's so many myths and misconceptions so to start at the very beginning two April marks World Autism Awareness Day the month of April being World Autism Awareness Month I think the important message is that autism is a treatable condition. And as we can see, the stats on autism are out of control. In America, every one in 54 children are now having an autism diagnosis. It is very similar in South Africa. We just don't have a board taking accurate statistics. Now, the stigma around autism, you are correct. A lot of parents don't want to talk about it when they hear that word autism because it is so misunderstood. They they hide their child um, from the rest of the world. They begin to withdraw from the community. And so that's why I'm so happy that we're talking about this today. I will also say that it's very important for me and my family to have people understand that the whole month of April, as much as we want to create an awareness around the diagnosis, we also want to send a message that there's absolutely nothing to accept about an autism 
diagnosis, we want to talk about autism action. So we say no to autism exception and to, we say no to autism acceptance and we say yes to autism action. And what I mean by that is autism doesn't need to be the end of the road. There is so much hope. There are so many treatments. And that's a really, really important message to start the show. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to be back to talk about this a lot more in depth. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I'm back with my guest, Ilana Gershlevitz, and we are talking about autism awareness because April is Autism Awareness Month. And we're talking about her book, Saving My Sons, A Journey with Autism. Ilana, before the break, you were saying that autism is a treatable condition. We were talking about how scary the word autism is and about the stigma that's attached to it. But I think for me, the awareness that I gained from, from your book was it is also a spectrum. And a, I just want to mention a quote. You said in, in your, your introduction to the book, if you've met one individual with autism, you've met one individual with autism. Each person, as, as we all are, we're all unique individuals. And one child with autism is not the same as another. It's a spectrum. And there are all levels to that. There's all different types, all different conditions of it. And I know when you first received your diagnosis for David, which was back in 2004, it was quite a, a cold, it was delivered in quite a cold and unfeeling way. And you were literally told, um, goodbye and good luck. And that's how your journey actually began. Do you want to just tell me a bit more about that? Correct. Our journey began with goodbye and good luck. And I think the re one of the reasons I wrote the book is I wanted people to know that goodbye and good luck no longer holds water. There are so many treatments for autism. In the beginning, when that word autism entered our life, we were devastated. We had a nice family, a nice life, and to be told that your child won't speak, won't go to school, won't hold down a job, you know, take out an insurance policy because you're going to look after him for the rest of your life. This is what we were told. Nothing much you can do, unfortunately. Thankfully, um, having worked in a law firm, I was well-versed in research, and I started to uncover so many treatments that we actually could embark on in order to help David become a functional and independent little boy. I want people to understand that when we say autism, and this is another um, myth and misconception, Janice. People think the child's a savant. They're so clever. They're a genius. Rain man, the good doctor. That is one in a million. We have a global crisis with autism. We are seeing little children who are trapped and cannot speak. Um, and we seeing that more than the very old diagnosis of what people used to understand Asperger's to be. And just to touch on what you said earlier, um, and you got it right because you said there's a spectrum of autism. On the one hand, you can have a child who can't speak at all. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have a child who is struggling to fit into social settings. 
Um, so very much um, there is a spectrum. And both ends of the spectrum really need um, the same treatments. The children just manifest and present differently. Um, so, you know, the causes are the same, but some children's symptoms are more severe than others. It's like with any condition, and I'm actually going to mention COVID. It's a ridiculous comparison. I mean, you can't even compare. But with COVID, you know, everyone's displaying different symptoms. And it's like any illness. You would say, you go to the doctor and get it treated. And it's ridiculous that, that you know, you're told with, with autism, oh, well, just, you know, like you were told goodbye, good luck. And that there's no treatment. It's it's insane that you were told there's no treatment because it's like with any condition. You know, as you say, different children display different symptoms. And here with COVID, we're seeing exactly the same thing. Different people, different symptoms. We don't know what's going to come up next. And I think with the research, especially with autism, I think different developments are happening all the time. And as happened with you on your journey, you discovered different things literally every month all the time you were you were because you persevered and you were insistent on persevering you discovered so much that you were able to do that you were able to to manage to help David and unfortunately none of it was available in our own country which was really sad including the fact that when you were were first put in touch with the South African autism organization um you don't mention the name. We're not going to mention the name. I mean, it, it was a, the most depressing call because they also, I mean, they were a South African autism organization and had virtually no information to give you and no assistance to offer. Janice, you couldn't have summed it up better. And sadly, the same medical professionals who sent me out of the office with an autism diagnosis and with n- not you know, much advice to offer is actually, you know, we're still hearing the same story 15 years down the line. And um, unfortunately, parents are faced with a situation where they don't have access to the right educational services and um, medical services in our country 15, 16 years, you know, down the line. And That's why I also wrote the book, because I want to change that stigma that you spoke about. I want people to truly understand the makeup of autism. You and I were talking about the spectrum. What does it truly mean? And then how can we treat it? Because there is hope. No parent need ever give up on their hopes and dreams for their child's future. And there's so much work that we need to do in this field, but I am hopeful that there will be change. And we have seen so many children um, acquire those skills they need to lead functional and independent and happy lives. I meet at least four parents on a daily basis whose children have just received an autism diagnosis. Um, And, you know, so the fear and the desperation is just even shocking to me sometimes. Sometimes, even though I've been through it, the parents are broken and the, the, the horror of it, so much work and so much help is required uh, for autism.
I just think that, as you said, so much awareness still needs to be brought out into the public focus because, and it still needs to be brought into the medical field because our the medical field still doesn't seem to have a lot of awareness about this. I'm not even going to start to talk about schools and and uh, educators and and acceptance and inclusion. I'm I'm not even going to go there because as much as I always say, the further we come, the more behind we still are. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So look, um, I think also important is that. We chat about the red flags to autism. I think if our schools and our teachers can just start with being aware of what those red flags are. So in a young developing child, we need to see, is the child talking on time? Are they pointing? You know, by, by 18 months, the child must point and start having certain words that they're using to communicate. Do we see them hand flapping, walking on their toes? How are the kids playing with their toys? Children on the spectrum will line everything up um, in a long line. Will they avoid eye contact? Um, are they, how delayed in their speech are they? You know, people will say, ah, he's a boy, he'll talk late. That's not true. Children must develop on time and especially speech. Um, do they get upset because of minor changes? Have they got obsessive interests? Um, do they do they spin the wheels of the car? Um, you know, are they responding to their name consistently? And we don't want to alarm parents raising uh, young children, but if you do pick up certain of the flags that we may have been discussing today you can always just discuss them with your pediatrician because Janice early intervention is so important and early intervention actually sets the stage for best outcomes and as you see in my book I had two children who received an autism diagnosis autism came knocking on my door twice and the two the one journey, my oldest who's 18, the, the, we're still walking on the autism road. It's very ongoing. But the other son and my youngest completely recovered from autism. Okay, I'm going to interrupt you there because we're going to take a break. And we are going to discuss that after the break. We're going to talk about how that recovery discovered early enough and action is taken early enough, is very possible. But we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to get right back to it. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am back with my guest, Ilana Gershlevitz, and we are having an in-depth discussion about her journey with autism, as she discussed in her book, Saving My Sons. And we are chatting about this very relevantly because April is Autism Awareness Month. And Ilana, before the break, you were talking about the fact that your family has been through this with two of your children because two of your sons received an autism diagnosis. And with your first son, him being your first child, you were really thrown in at the deep end, didn't know where to turn. Eventually, through all your research, you you were able to to manage to find a lot of solutions still on the journey but you you 
as I said, a lot of them were not in South Africa. Unfortunately, most of them weren't in South Africa. But when your your third son, um, we're going to talk about your middle son a bit later. But when your third son um, was diagnosed with autism, you were very aware of what red flags to look out for. And your journey with Aaron, your third son, was very, very different to what you experienced with David. Tell me a bit about that. I'm so happy to be speaking to you about that today. Yes, so autism being a recoverable diagnosis back dates to 1987. This is certainly not a new idea. Um, since 1987, um, when Dr. Lovas, he is the creator of a teaching methodology called Applied Behavior Analysis, ABA. ABA is a teaching methodology. It is the only evidence-based treatment for children on the spectrum. It is covered in America in 52 states under medical insurance. The reason for that is that it is regarded a medical necessity, and it is endorsed by the American Academy of Pediatrics. Um, my organization in South Africa and um, the Star Academy uses this teaching methodology to treat children on the autism spectrum, uh, whether they can't talk at all or whether they are high functioning and struggling at school or struggling to fit into social settings. Now, um, when my youngest son was developing at 17 months, we started seeing those red flags. We couldn't believe what we were seeing. Um, I unraveled the triggers because autism is actually what we call epigenetic. So we have a genetic vulnerability and then there are environmental triggers that express certain genetics. And that's how we then see autism um, evolve. It's, autism is not something the child is just born with. You can have a child who's completely typically developing and then all of a sudden there are environmental triggers and suddenly you see these autism symptoms developing in the child. And that's what, and I think that's, that, that's what makes it even more heartbreaking for, for the families who are going through this because you have a, a beautiful child who's developing normally and then all of a sudden something triggers something and you no longer have the child that you had. Janice, exactly. It is heartbreaking is not even describing the experience. Um, it's just putting it mildly. You know, it's it's exceptionally challenging. Um, you, speak about this this. And you speak about this in your book, and so does your husband, Martin. And this is one of the things that I love about the book. It's not just your story. You don't take ownership and say, oh, this is just my journey. It's Martin's journey. It's Ellie's journey, your middle son as well because their, their stories are interspersed here as well and, and what they've gone through and their feelings as well. And you describe this as a type of grief. Absolutely. In the beginning, you mourn the loss of this child because, um, you know, you, you envisage a certain journey and then autism forces you to change course. Um, but just to get back to the Aaron story, you know, when we saw these horrible symptoms of autism poking their head uh, into our life, we sprung to action. And this time, we had the expertise, access to the right doctors, and we very quickly intervened to change the course of autism. And also, Janice, you know, as much as we did the right education program, and I'm going to talk about that in the right medical treatments, and we did very brave medical treatments for both boys. 
I can just say that for my oldest, God just still says no. And my youngest, God said yes. And he is a miracle today. He is eight years old and he's in grade three and he recovered from autism. So let me define recovery. Recovery means that the child has been assessed by an educational psychologist and they have scored average to above average on their IQ. They are in a mainstream school without a full-time school shadow um, and that they no longer display criteria for the diagnosis. They've been reassessed and re-diagnosed by a doctor who can actually make that diagnosis. So I can tell you that, again, the autism diagnosis is so misunderstood. Um, sadly, it's used, sometimes it's used incorrectly. Sometimes, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it's not used it, when it should be. Um, what I found is that everyone is so scared to say the word autism. Wow. Um, you know, no, I can't tell the parent. No, I can't tell the parent. But everyone needs to realize that if you don't tell the parents, the parents are not going to know what they're facing and they're not going to be able to get their child into the right help. With Aaron, when he was 17 months, we enrolled him in our ABA program and my organization is affiliated to an American organization called the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. I mean, we've been established for now actually going on 15 years. So, um, you know, they are world leaders in autism treatment. Aaron was fortunate. We got into that ABA program at 17 months, seven hours a day for four years. Wow. Um, coupled with that, we did a lot of medical treatments that we can talk about as well, but we did have the best outcome with Aaron. And that is something we need to talk about because autism is not just neuron disease, not just a psychological disease. There's a lot of medical conditions that come with this. Correct. So autism is not a psychiatric disorder. Therefore, first-line treatment should not be psychiatric medication. Autism, Janice, is a digestive disorder. It is a metabolic disorder, and it is an autoimmune. And I think that that is something that a lot of people are not aware of. I certainly wasn't. That was news to me, and that was actually quite a shock to me because it was something that I... I really did not know at all. I was, um, I found the, the, what you wrote about David and what he went through, the pain that he suffered from, from all the, I'm not going to go into to graphic detail, but, um, the pain that he suffered, the stomach pain and everything that he went through from those medical conditions, all the, the medical condition the, the medical process that you had to go through to try and relieve that pain it was a huge task you know you get this autism diagnosis and now you have to wear the cap as mom you have to work you have to become an overnight chef because now the child can't eat gluten and dairy and soy and sugar and you know you land at a point where you think maybe the child shouldn't eat anything at all because they're so allergic um, and then you you have to become a medical doctor overnight. But we did. And I can just say that I was so fortunate because I had a husband who really stood by me and he was just incredible. I was the one who used to panic. <laughs> and he got a, a number of calls from his wife when he was in very 
important meetings, I would call him and say, what are we going to do? I'm so worried. What's going to become of him? And he would say, Lon, you know, do you realize that I'm sitting in front of 10 executives and this is a very important meeting? Can we talk about this later? And I would be like, well, we actually can't now walk out of that meeting and talk to me now. What are we going to do? Um, and he was so supportive. And um, he, you know, I think what I want to say to parents who walk into this journey is that if you're going to fight autism and you're going to win the battle, you can't fight each other. So you have to work together to fight autism. Now, Martin and I definitely didn't always agree. Um, so, you know, what we decided on was that sometimes I'd let him get his way and sometimes he'd let me get my way. And that's really how we landed up surviving because initially you get that diagnosis, it's like you're on the battlefield. There are bullets flying over your head and you're wounded. You can lie on the battlefield wounded and stay there. So you have a choice or you can crawl to the helicopter that's on the top of the hill that's going to take you to safety. And we chose to crawl, no matter how painful it was, no matter how hard it it was, no matter the sacrifices that needed to be made, we crawled. And as long as we could crawl, and as long as there was hope, and I think I will continue crawling because my oldest son is extremely um, challenged. His health is compromised. The journey's ongoing. And I will draw my last breath crawling, you know, to getting the treatments that he needs. I think that is absolutely incredible. And I think that the message there, I mean, apart from the fact that husband and wife should support each other in, in all marriages, but especially through challenging times like this, and as you say, which which will continue um, throughout David's life, that is an incredibly powerful message. And the, the analogy with the battlefield, I mean, amazing, Ilala, really amazing what you've been able to achieve. Tell me a bit about, I mean, you you've what you've achieved is amazing. You are to be, I mean, I mean admiration, it's not even a strong enough word for, for what you have managed to achieve. You put together a, a conference in 2009, the Challenging Children Conference, that was more than a success, like beyond your wildest dreams. And the, the people that you managed to bring out for that were the, some of the top, top autism experts in the world. We were so fortunate to be able to organize that. And it really was groundbreaking for South Africa because it was the first time that our professionals were actually introduced to applied behavior analysis and to the fact that there are so many medical treatments for for autism. And Janice, you know, how do you treat the autism symptoms? So first of all, we need to look at removing food allergies. Um, We have intolerance with most children, they can't take gluten, dairy, soya, sugar. We have to focus on nutrition. And if there are any teachers listening, I know that sometimes it can become so challenging in the classroom when you've got kids who are not concentrating or listening and you've got 20 kids to manage. But I always say to parents that, um, you know, what are you sending your child in the lunchbox to school? A lot of kids don't have breakfast in the morning. They leave the house at 7.30. They come home at 2 or half past 2, 3 o'clock, 
and they really didn't eat their snack. And if they did, what were they eating? Um, children need protein to concentrate. They need all the B vitamins. Children who are not concentrating are usually deficient in essential vitamins and minerals. Children on the autism spectrum, because of their metabolic imbalances, are very deficient in essential vitamins and minerals that they require for proper brain function. And I think if we start looking at what our kids are eating, send a protein shake, um, try and move them over to some healthier options, you're going to see a child who can pay attention. That's incredible. And I, I know that there, there were at the time. I, I don't know if things have changed now. I don't know if the way of thinking um, in South Africa's medical field has has changed or evolved in any way. I know that at the time there were medical professionals who had attended the conference who really disagreed with that way of thinking that autism was was a medical um, and a, a medical illness and had um, a medical connection. They believed it was purely mental psychiatric illness and a, a, a psychiatric condition. And um, have, have things evolved? Has the way of thinking here evolved? Yes. So I remember one of the top neurologists walking out of the conference. And, you know, we were, the presenter was presenting on all the information. She was presenting on the gut-brain connection in autism. They were showing paper after paper. I can tell the listeners today that autism being treatable is not my subjective opinion. Do the research. There are so, it is called evidence-based treatment for children with autism. Um, you know, the, there are many people who've got egos. And so I think that's so challenging for parents when parents sit in front of a doctor who don't, you know, don't, who is grappling with their own ego. 30 years and 40 years ago, when they were at medical school, things were very different um, with autism. The treatments have evolved. And so, unfortunately, we don't have our medical professionals in South Africa that have kept up to date um, with these treatments. And um, I, I find parents come to me on a daily basis. Their children have been put on, you know, so many different psychiatric medications. And obviously, there's a place for those medications, obviously. But... I will see three-year-olds and five-year-olds, seven-year-olds being put on these medications where nobody checked their thyroid. No one did a full blood count. Nobody checked the health condition of the child. Some of the medications that are prescribed will cause the child to lose their appetite. Now, the child needs proper nutrition and vitamins and minerals to sustain brain function at school. And now we're putting you know, them on psychiatric medication, not uncovering the true causes. Um, I think most doctors are now in agreement on the gut-brain connection in autism. That is undeniable. The gut flora, which is called the microbiome, is dysregulated. Um, children on the autism spectrum have various co-infections, viral infections, strep infections, bacterial infections, causing the autism symptoms. 90% of children on the autism spectrum and the higher functioning kids presenting with those symptoms as well have a condition called PANS, P-A-N-S, or PANDAS, P-A-N-D-A-S, Pediatric Acute Neuropsychotic Syndrome. The one comes from a viral infection, the one comes from a strep. The condition is treatable. 
Um, and a lot of these kids lag up on psychiatric medication when we're not drilling down to what's actually causing those symptoms of autism. It's really frightening for parents who are really out to see. They don't know who to consult with and, and you don't know whether they are actually visiting a doctor who has done the research. You don't know who to consult with. You just assume that you're going to a professional who you look up to, who who knows their stuff, but you don't know who you're getting. We're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to chat to you about the Star Academy. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. I am back with my guest, Ilana Gershlevitz, and we are chatting about autism awareness, seeing as April is Autism Awareness Month. And Ilana has been on this autism journey for quite some time. And she's written a book called Saving My Sons. And she wrote that book with Marion Scher. And Ilana, before the break, I said, I wanted to chat to you about the Star Academy, which started off as little stars. So tell us a bit about that. Tell me about the Star Academy. The Star Academy was initially established um, to help my oldest, David, access an education program. And um, we initially had little stars. We had four kids in a classroom and we somehow managed to um, get a couple of teachers together and we established a, a school for children with autism. I realized very early on that the other kids were making progress, but my son wasn't making the progress. And you'll, you'll read in the book, Janice, that Martin will say that we as a family only truly um, began to heal when we saw other children benefiting from the work that we were doing because my oldest son was so severely challenged by autism and everything we did, it just, you know, we just weren't, we just weren't getting him to make that turnaround. Um, and the suffering just continued. Um, so we saw these children improving, but I was always very honest with myself. I was not willing to lie to myself if a treatment wasn't working or a specific educational uh, route that I chose. And we'd gone to a lot of effort to set up Little Stars. And I came to the conclusion a couple of months in that this wasn't working. And I started doing my research. I found Dr. Doreen Grampachet. Well, she'd actually come out for the conference. And then, you know, she said, we said, well, we're going to go live in America. And she said, stay in South Africa. I'll send you our top clinicians. And, you know, she laid out a roadmap for me. She said, look, this is what you need to do. Go to the university, find me psychology students. We'll train them in applied behavior analysis. And, um, you know, you can stay in South Africa, don't uproot your life. And this is what we can do. And we followed her advice. And I think Star Academy is going on 11, 12 years before that we had the little stars. But, um, you know, now we are servicing around 250 children across South Africa and in one-on-one programs. We have centers in Cape Town, Durban, Johannesburg. We service children in countries in Africa, Malawi, Rwanda. I've got staff all over the place. Um, I'm super busy coordinating all of this. Um, And so we have actually become an expert Units and we service not only South Africa but Africa, and you know ABA produces results. 
coupled with the ABA program, that is the methodology that tells us how can we teach a child on the spectrum. We use a developmental curriculum customized by our American affiliate to set each child's individualized education plan. One skill builds on another skill, and this curriculum tells us what to teach. Now, you see, you can never group children with difficulty together in one classroom. And so I think our South African education system is not quite there yet because we tend to box children. If you're mainstream, you go in the box. If you're remedial, you must go to remedial school. If you're special needs, you must go to special needs. 100%. Yeah. And so that's not really how we're doing it in America and in Australia and in other parts of the world. And, you know, we know that there's so much work that we still need to do in terms of inclusive education, which is, and yes, the lawyer in me coming out, but, you know, inclusive education is a constitutional right. It is in terms of the Independent Schools Act. In terms of education, white paper six, no child may be refused entrance to a school based on any intellectual or physical impairment. And parents are turned away on a daily basis. And parents, you know, they'll say to me, but I don't want my child to attend a school where they're not wanted. Um, And I understand that. But in other parts of the world, the parents said, well, no, you know, we demand services. And I do understand the challenges, of course, Janice. I mean, we've got funding in America. We understand that. Um, and I just hope the, the teachers and the principals listening today, and we have some wonderful Jewish schools, I can tell you, in this country that are willing to take kids with a difference in and um, to give them that opportunity to learn and to be included. I can tell you one such, such school, and I'm going to name them, is Hertzlia. Their play school, their nursery school is phenomenal, yeah. and they've helped. So many children, Hertzlia, Torah Academy, and um, they talk about Torah Academy being the school with the Neshama. They are, they are. I had personal experience with this. And, you know, there are other Jewish schools as well that have been receptive. I think people are wary. I think I would certainly like to see inclusive education happening um, more as the norm than the exception. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. <laughs> We as an organization actually provide that infrastructure to make inclusive education work. And I think if schools will just say, you know, we're going to include one child in each grade. If we, if we start now and if they just experience it, I think everyone is so afraid because they haven't experienced a child coming right. And I, I'm going to tell you, Janice, I had um, this experience with my youngest Aaron, you know, when he was coming out of it, Aaron has always been under the magnifying glass. I think it's very, very difficult for people to actually, oh, really? He recovered from autism, but was he autistic to start? Well, let me show you the videos where he looked like a stroke patient and he couldn't yeah. speak. And then you can tell me, but, you know, even sometimes today, if he sets a little foot out of line, then it's like, oh my gosh, you know, he did this. And no other child would. And I'm like, really? No other child would? Um, so I think that um, people have never experienced recovery from autism. And, you know, when a child no longer has a diagnosis of autism, it means that they don't display enough criteria for the diagnosis. You can be weaker socially or you could 
have a, a couple of challenges in a school environment, that doesn't make you autistic. And so many of our children do, children have ADHD, um, ch- different children have behavioral issues. And so we've certainly very much in Erin's school career um, been under the magnifying glass. Um, but we've also been given, you know, the support that we've needed. And I've been so grateful for that. Um, and he's just done so, so well. And um, as I said, he does not display criteria for autism, certainly not. And he is passing his grade. Um, and we, he is our miracle. We cherish him. Um, we love him too much. There is no such thing as loving a child too much. I don't have to tell you that. <laughs> It's just, no, not, it's just not a not a thing but um we we are going to have to wrap up in a minute and i, I want to just mention as as a parting thought um this this was a quote from from someone on i can't remember if, if she was on one of aaron's teams or one of david's teams because you've had numerous teams working with with both of these boys and i want to say again that one of the most unique beautiful things about your book is that it's it's not just your story, it's not just your journey, it's your family's journey. And and you've included um Martin and his feelings and Ellie and, and his opinion and his feelings. Your boys are all beautiful. There's pictures in the book. They are gorgeous boys. And I just want to end with this thought from from one of the the people. As I say, I can't remember which team she was on. And she says, and I know this should apply to all children, but specific with children with with autism. See the child, not just the condition. Absolutely. You know, um, I think a lot of the old school of thought is let's tailor the environment uh, to the child because we don't want to burden the child. But we say let's tailor the child to the environment. Let's give the child the skills they need to cope. Um, and Janice has been so wonderful to speak to you about autism, about the diagnosis, about the challenges. And my message to the listeners today, if you are a parent whose child has received an autism diagnosis, uh, please do not despair. There is so much hope. There are so many treatments. Autism does not mean game over. In fact, it means game on. Boxing gloves on. Let's fight for your child. Um, You need not give up on your hopes and dreams for the future. And certainly, there is absolutely nothing to accept about an autism diagnosis. Ilana, thank you for that incredibly powerful message. And if you're listening, and as Ilana says, if you've received an autism diagnosis for your child, There is so much light to be seen. It's not the end. It is just the beginning of an incredible, incredible journey. If you've been listening to this, I hope that it's inspired you. And as I always say, take care of yourself, take care of each other, wear a mask and read a book.